Incandescent Demons, a Dark Material Discussion. My name is Sharon. And I'm Jordan. So before we start, I think we should go ahead and do a quick recap of the episode. I think this would be episode two. Essentially, Lyra moves in with Mrs. Coulter and she starts to get a feel for a luxurious life. And she also starts to see Mrs. Coulter's true colors. Eventually, she escapes from Mrs. Coulter and ends up being captured by a bunch of strangers. We're not really sure who. So thanks again for joining us, everyone. Sorry we've kind of been out of the loop. We've got caught up with everything that we're doing in the real world. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and take it as a good reprieve from whatever you're doing in the real world. And this week, we wanted to talk about the theme of femininity. And this episode was a little ambiguous for us because there were some things we liked, but there were a lot of things that we didn't like. So at this point, I'm pretty excited to talk about this theme of femininity with you, Sharon. So what did you think of this episode? So I I feel like cinematically, it's it's actually very well done. But my biggest dislike of this episode is the way that these characters are portrayed. So I think the main ones that bother me, mainly because they are the main female characters, is Ma Costa, Lyra, and Mrs. Coulter. So in the book... These women are very headstrong, very kind of dominating. They're they're smart, they're quick, they're they're born leaders, and I feel like they aren't portrayed that way in the series. The way that I've always envisioned Lyra is and even the way that she's described in the book as this wild child who goes about and her day running around with other kids and getting herself into trouble. Um, she never really listens to authority, and she's also very distrustful of authority and tends to take her own counsel rather than looking towards others. So I feel like Lyra in the series tends to just, she doesn't do as she's told, but she's definitely more obedient and less, less self-assured. What do you think? I felt like looking through this episode... Looking through this world, this universe that they're building in general, I feel like there's obviously a clear distinction between men and women. You know, there are certain physical spaces that women aren't allowed to be in, which from the get-go is just bonkers to me, because that's not how our world operates, at least in most parts of the world. But as I was looking through this and kind of searching for things that related to this theme of femininity... I noticed that they were kind of portraying a lot of the female characters in what are like more old school feminine ways. So, you know, I think in the past, certain things have kind of been associated with being feminine, being a woman. And I think nowadays, some of those things still carry like a really negative connotation. Some would say that like being over emotional or too in touch with your feelings being a good parent and just kind of stepping in to do a lot of the grunt work with child rearing. A lot of people would say that that is traditionally what a woman's place is in our world. And what really bothered me about this is that when we have the books, a lot of the female characters don't really conform to that old school, quote unquote, traditional role of being feminine. But when we watch this show, a lot of the female characters fall into those really negative tropes. So do you feel like that was what was happening with Lyra? Oh, yeah, for sure. And when we talk about those tropes, it's we're referring to things like being soft-spoken or being very flirtatious or just being coquettish or, or charming. 
When we talk about these tropes, we're thinking of women who are less sure of themselves. Like they're always looking towards someone else to help them. They don't really problem solve as much. And I feel like that's kind of what's being portrayed in the series. So like Lyra is so trustful of Mrs. Coulter from the very beginning. So Lyra looks to Mrs. Coulter to find Roger as opposed to going off on her own to find Roger herself. She's she's complacent in Mrs. Coulter's promise that she will find Roger. So instead of being this person who takes things into her own hands and says, okay, I know I asked you for help, but also I'm going to do this thing on the side. And if you don't like it, then you're just not going to know about it. Lyra kind of sits there and does whatever Mrs. Coulter tells her to do and trusts that Mrs. Coulter will do the right thing. Which, as we know, she definitely does not. And with Lyra, she was doing a lot of things that just didn't really fit how I pictured her in the book. You know, as soon as she finds out about Lord Azriel being her dad, instead of being really proud with her newly found identity as, like, the daughter of this really great aristocrat, she suddenly becomes, like, really teary, and she's really confrontational and, like, upset by it. And I guess I can try to understand where she's coming from, because as we've seen her depicted in the previous episode, she kind of has this really guarded, odd relationship with him where it seems like she really wants him to be a father figure. And when she finds out that he actually is, but he never stepped up to the plate that way, I can understand why maybe she's feeling like some sense of betrayal, but immediately writing her as this really sad little girl who immediately goes to her room and balls up and just cries about it, it just doesn't capture who she's supposed to be because she's supposed to be this like really strong, independent girl But here, she's, like, really dependent on the relationship that maybe she should have had with Lord Asriel. And now that she's trying to find a parent figure in Mrs. Coulter, she suddenly feels really betrayed because they got into this, like, big fight where their demons, you know, physically fight. And we know that that causes her great physical and emotional distress. And one thing that I actually sort of just realized is that because of her reaction to the news of Lord Asriel being her father, it shows that she lacks the adaptability that she has in the book. So Lyra in the book just kind of takes things and creates something. She makes the best of everything and tries to use it to her advantage. So in the book, she hears this information instead of being really upset or she doesn't feel like her world's crumbling around her because of this idea of Lord Asriel has always been my uncle. She takes that new information and integrates it into her life seamlessly. She starts telling stories to all the local kids about all of his heroic actions that were all not really true. She kind of makes things up, but she embraces it and she accepts it willingly and she uses it for her own good for to in ways that will advance herself in the eyes of the other children. And to me, That struck me as more of a feminine quality. You know, if we're going to talk about what women are and like what is feminine in like a literal sense, or at least like how it's reflected in our world and how we see it played out, something feminine to me would be, you know, women and girls being trapped in these like situations where they are being subjugated or at least being viewed in a much more negative light and they adapt to it and they like rise to the occasion. You know, they shouldn't have to because we shouldn't structure our world that way, but that's how history and our modern world does kind of structure things, unfortunately. But to me, like, 
part of what made her like a really great female character was that she has to deal with all this systemic sexism and she rises to the occasion. And she was always someone who was equal to the stress that she was being put under by the expectations of her world. But we don't really see that. And in a lot of ways, that frustrated me. And then when we look at someone like Ma Costa, who in the book was supposed to be literally this kind of terrifying, scary woman who everyone really respected, not just Lyra, but like all the other Egyptians had a ton of respect for Ma Costa. But in the show, we see her being reduced to someone who loses her composure really easily. She's taking out the fear and stress of losing her kid out on other people. And I understand that having your kid be kidnapped must be horrifying. It must be like, it's obviously the worst thing any parent could possibly go through. But Ma Costa doesn't really participate in finding her son, Billy. And again, you know, if we're going to talk about feminine characteristics that we like expect, you know, Ma Costa being reduced to this person who is really scared and not participating doesn't really strike me as like what a really strong, confident mother would do in this situation. You know, like her demon's a hawk, right? Like she should be someone who's literally rising to the occasion, claws out, ready to go to battle, like ready to kill someone to get her kid back. But here we see her, you know, dropping plates in the kitchen and crying and snapping at anyone who wants to help. Yeah, and that really does play on sort of the traditional way of how society views women and that women aren't capable of quote-unquote manning up and so she she is the woman that we expect she's tearful she's deferring responsibilities of being of not being a mother but of just finding her own kid to someone else like ma casa in the book would never have just sat there and cried and thought about her son she would have been sad and thought about her son as she she was acting and organizing people into all the different search parties so that she could actually find her kid and not just her kid but everyone else's kid like she has a view she she cares about her her own small family unit but she also cares about the egyptians as a unit and you don't really see that in the show she seems a little more fixated on her own small family and it's less global despite the Egyptian way where everyone's family, essentially. Like, in the book, it's described as um, if you lose your kid, you know that someone else is going to pick your kid up and they're going to be safe because all Egyptians basically raise their children together and they all view their kids and other people's kids as their own. And that doesn't seem to be part of the show's Ma Costa. The show definitely steals her thunder a little bit. So where do you see this old-school femininity being played out in the case of Mrs. Coulter. So in Mrs. Coulter, I feel like it's more of that feminine look. So she's wearing all these beautiful clothes that are very form-fitting and show off her body. She's She makes herself look nice. She always, like, she always has these charming airs. She befriends everyone and does all the things that a sociolite is supposed to do. So she, she throws a party, she's, she's a hostess, and she brings everyone together to have a good time and a drink and all this stuff, but it's, she lacks the kind of leadership that I saw of Mrs. Coulter in the book. Like, she's supposed to be this very goal-oriented, definitely ruthless woman who, has, who, who is secure and knows what she wants and what she needs to do to get what she wants. 
And then Mrs. Coulter in the series seems more like this sad, scorned woman who's just so insecure about herself. And she's like self-loathing. And it's just, it's almost like she's, she's every, she's what everyone thinks of in terms of like the sociolite who knows everyone and throws all these amazing parties, but on the inside is incredibly insecure and kind of hates herself a little because she never had like those close relationships growing up because she was so focused on looking good. Like all the superficial things that you think of when you think of an attractive, womanly person, that's basically Mrs. Coulter. And she kind of, it's almost like she lacks the depth that Mrs. Coulter in the book has. And what I really didn't like is when she's having that fight with Lyra. Not only does she lose her composure and scream at her and, you know, spill the beans on Lord Asriel, but she kind of paints this picture of how, oh, you know, like, he and I got together, but then he just ran off with, like, some other women. And I think that's what you mean about the whole scorn thing. And to me, that was really uncharacteristic of who I thought she should be. But it was also really disappointing because it's like, why are we taking this character who was supposed to be really self-sufficient and self-made and kind of tweaking her story arc to be really dependent on her feelings for a man? That doesn't make any sense. And it detracts from who she's supposed to be, and it kind of plays into this what we're talking about with this idea of old school femininity. But Mrs. Coulter was really interesting to me in the sense that she does kind of capture this idea that femininity has to be expressed in a more physical manner. Because we've talked a little bit about the behavioral stuff, but where did you kind of see this theme of femininity being played out in terms of how Mrs. Coulter and the other women of the show represent themselves physically in society? Well, Mrs. Coulter sort of, I feel like she falls into what society would expect of a, of a woman in terms of she needs to be attractive, she needs to be feminine, dainty, charming. Ma Costa, on the surface, like the way that she dresses, she's Egyptian, so she's going to wear the clothes of the Egyptians, but she's she doesn't give off the air of being a terrifying woman, which is what Ma Costa in the book would give off because she is such a strong person it's almost like the whole idea of women are weak women are there to be pretty to be dependent on a man and they can't really live on their own without the help or assistance of someone else and even with mrs coulter and how she brings up lord asriel it's almost like she's doing all of this because she's still really angry at him and it has nothing to do with anything else, even though in the actual story, she's she has her own goals. She has something that she's working towards that has really not much to do with Lord Asriel. Like, it's almost like she's on this, she's on the path that she's on just to get back at him versus they just happen to be on the opposing side. And in terms of how she presents herself, like, with the dresses and you know, the table manners and like all these things that she's trying to teach Lyra, it kind of shows that in their society, presentation of femininity is really important. And for me, it raises the question of why does presenting yourself as feminine matter? And should it matter? And like, how do you think that kind of plays into the way that we go about interacting with people in our world? Because I'm really interested in this idea of femininity and how it should be expressed in our world, and whether it even matters if it should be expressed. So the way that I view things, and I know it's not how everyone does, is that 
If you are female and you think you're feminine, then you are inherently expressing femininity. So if you want to dress in pretty clothes and to do your hair and do your makeup and that's your expression of your femininity, then that's femininity. If you want to express more of like a tougher side where you like to work with your hands and build things and do sports or go hunting or something, then you're female and you're feminine and that's another expression of your femininity. So I think one of the things that I find really sad about this series versus the book is that Ma Costa is essentially what I see as like the embodiment of femininity. She's tough and she's scary and she gets her gets whatever it is that she wants done done. Like she you don't cross her. If she expects something of you then you better do it or she's going to be angry and you're going to be scared of her. But at the same time, she still has those nurturing traits. So she'll always try to make sure that you're fed, that you're warm, that you have a roof over your head. So it's almost like she has this good mix of just being human. And I think the way that old school society viewed women is that you can't be both. Like you're either one or the other. So you either have to be this very sweet, nurturing person who takes care of the kids and makes sure that the house is clean. Or you're like this super quote-unquote masculine person where you're out working the fields and you're taking care of your house and you're doing all these things, but then you lose, like, in terms of society, the person who does all the, the work that men traditionally do, she's no longer feminine. And for me, Ma Costa is, is able to combine both the nurturing and the, like, the taking care of business aspect of things, that she becomes like a full human being. And so I really liked that she is that way in the book. And the fact that she isn't that way at all in the series makes me think that maybe society hasn't advanced enough to see that women can be both and still be feminine. It's a really good way to look at it. And I like that you brought up, you know, the other camp of masculinity versus femininity, because historically it's kind of always been split down the middle and one thing that's really changing in our world is that there's a much more profound awareness of, you know, all the things in between on this like spectrum of male and female, right? You know, we know that there's like non-binary people, gender fluid, and people like to express themselves in really androgynous ways, whether they're biologically male, female, or refuse to identify as either one. And Mrs. Coulter, like you said, she really captures this hyper-feminine persona where she's all about you know, throwing these nice parties. She's all about making sure her hair is done properly, making sure she does makeup properly, making sure she does her clothes properly in what is traditionally regarded as a very feminine way. But we know that there's a lot of gray area. It's totally okay for someone to identify as one or the other, but that shouldn't be based on how they identify gender-wise or as an individual. And I think one thing that always really fascinated me about the world of his dark materials is that every person has this demon right and that demon is invariably in almost every circumstance the opposite gender of you so you know pantalaimon is male whereas lyra is female and lord boreal actually points it out at the very end of this episode i believe when his serpent demon kind of comes out on his wrist and the guy says oh so he finally comes out and lord boreal kind of staunchly corrects him pretty quickly he says it's a she and I think I really liked that. And I know Lord Boreal is being depicted as the villain and we see him very explicitly murder someone in this episode. 
but at least with regard to this idea of femininity, I think Lord Boreal, he doesn't expound on it too much, but he definitely points out that even as a man, part of his nature is feminine, and he is immediately ready to correct it and point it out when people make the mistake. And I think that's a good way to kind of look at the way we do things in our world, because just because a woman identifies as a woman doesn't mean that part of her nature can't be masculine, and it doesn't mean that she can't express that masculinity any way that she wants. Whereas the reverse is also true, where if you are a man, there should be no problem with you expressing yourself as feminine, because, you know, maybe deep down part of your nature is a little more feminine. And, and you know, that's very polarizing because it kind of erases a lot of the stuff in between. And it would be really interesting to see gender fluid people and what their demons look like and how they behave and what gender they are or not in this case. But I don't think that they're ever going to have like a very solid role. The most representation I think we ever saw was in the books where, and we have to remember the book is told from the perspective of Lyra, who's a 12-year-old girl in a very different world from ours, so she probably doesn't have any awareness of this, but she mentions that she sees a person who is physically a male, but she points out that his demon is also a male, and when I very first read this in early to mid-high school, I thought that meant, oh, like, that person must be gay, but then I thought more about it, and I'm like, oh, like, this is probably a transgender person, right? Because if the demon is always supposed to be the opposite of what you really are, then if his demon is male, that must mean that that person is actually a woman. So I thought that was really cool because it definitely shows that there is some sort of a spectrum in this world where, you know, your good guys and your bad guys all have demons that are the opposite gender of them because part of their nature is inherently not what they present themselves as. That was a bit long-winded, but... I think I really liked that aspect of this world that they painted. Yeah, it was very subtle, but it was still there. And it's it's nice that they at least bring attention to it. So you did mention something earlier about Makasa and her hawk demon. So I was thinking maybe we could discuss her demon a little more. And since we are on that topic of demons, what her demon tells us about her as a person. Do you mean that it's time for this week's Explain That Demon segment? Yes, it is. So for those of you who haven't heard about this yet, because I think we've only alluded to it, when we play Explain That Demon, we basically pick a character that played some role in this episode, or at least relates to the theme that we wanted to talk about, and then we discuss what their demon is. So what are your thoughts on why Ma Costa's demon is depicted as a hawk? Like, What do you think that means about her? The way that Ma Costa is, and the way that she's described in the book, again, is that she is this powerful leader who is both terrifying and nurturing at the same time. Like, Lyra is terrified of this woman. Like, she does not want to make Ma Costa angry, despite how she doesn't really tend to respect authority that much to begin with. But with Ma Costa, she is scared of her. So with Makasta's demon being a hawk, it kind of makes sense because the hawk is a terrifying bird. It swoops in and has this 
really scary cry and it like kills things. It's a predator. So I feel like because our like these demons are essentially representing a part of the human, like it's it's a part of the person, it kind of shows that Makasta is a really tough person. Like she's she's able to have the freedom to fly around and to explore and to see things from afar, which is kind of plays into the whole migratory aspect of Egyptian life where they're all on boats and they always travel to different places. But she's also because she's a hawk, she's 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 very strong. I don't know. What do you think? I like that you brought up the whole kind of like hawk-eyed bird of prey because to me that kind of captures this idea that she's like extremely vigilant. You mentioned earlier that any adult in Egyptian society is much more willing to like go out of their way for anyone's kid because it's a very communal space. And for her, you know, she was very, she's always very vigilant. She's always watching out for all the kids that are around. But like you said, part of her nature is very strong. And if we're going to represent it with a hawk, if a hawk set its sight on you, like you literally would not want to be within reach. And Lyra kind of feels that way because, you know, they don't really mention it in the show, but there was an instance in the books where Lyra had stolen their boat. And for her, it was just like a game because she was like a little kid, but she thought that Ma Costa was going to be like really furious with her even all these years later. And her immediate thought was just, I need to get away from here. Which is very funny because pantalimon's always taking the form of these like much smaller mammals, so it makes sense for like a small mammal to see a hawk coming towards them and to just be like, "I need to get the hell out of here." And we don't really see that in the show, but that definitely captures who Macosta is. And I also think that there is an element of convenience and sensibility behind having a hawk, at least in the terms of who she is as Egyptian because you know they're always on boats they're always outdoors so it makes a lot of sense for them to kind of have themselves represented by an animal that you know has the sense of being free and it's able to fly around it's not really limited by the fact that it's always bound to a boat because they can still make their way around like you said it captures something migratory or nomadic about her well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining us as we talked about how femininity was represented in the world of His Dark Materials. As a reminder, you can email us at dustanddemons at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at dust underscore and underscore demons. And you can find us on Twitter at dust discussion. We hope you enjoyed this week's segment. Sorry this episode came out a little bit late, but we hope you tune in next week. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care, everyone.